listening to She is Courageous, a podcast designed to help you step out in boldness, pursue your calling, and grow in faith so that you can be an authentic follower of Jesus. Hosted by Rachel Rupert. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back, and thank you for joining me today. I have been wrestling with this topic over the last several months, and it's kind of heavy, but I'm excited to dive into these pieces and really explore this topic today. The topic we're going to be covering today is the question, is church tension a good thing? The last few months have been what I can only describe as spiritually exhausting. I don't know if you feel the way I do, but lately it's felt like one thing after another keeps going wrong in Christianity. From Ravi Zacharias to the deep political divide surrounding the 2020 election, now to more issues of leadership, it feels like too much. They say ignorance is bliss, and to a degree, I suppose that statement is true. Sometimes I would like nothing more than to be in my own little world, enjoying my day-to-day life without the burden of bad news ever looming on my phone. But here's the thing. Our relationship with God isn't just about ourselves. A personal faith journey and an intimate relationship with God is essential to the Christian life. But the body of believers and the significance of the church body, it can't be overstated. The Bride of Christ, after all, isn't just one individual. It's us, all of us unified, that will stand before our Bridegroom. So ignorance isn't truly bliss. It's actually detrimental to an already sobering situation. There have been times when I get buried deep in the sadness of what I see wrong in the church today. I'd be lying if I said there weren't times where I wanted to throw up my hands and say, forget it, this is nonsense and I'm done. I've seen others come to the same conclusion. I've seen some abandon their faith. But then this gut feeling rises in me, this very important truth. The church will always exist. If you believe the same Bible as me, then you've gotten a glimpse of the end of the story. Revelation reminds us that even at the end of the age, the body of Christ, the church, will survive. In John 17, 20 through 21, we get a sneak peek into some of Jesus' last moments before he's captured and crucified. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I first have to just state how fascinating it is to me that this is the last thing Jesus prays for at least before his capture and crucifixion, according to John's Gospel. How interesting it is to me that Jesus chooses to make his final prayer about his future church moments before the soldiers come to find him in the garden. What does this say about the value of unity in the church to Jesus? Is it significant that this is the last prayer he prayed before his capture? If it is, then it begs to question where we are now in the 21st century church. Is church tension a good thing? With all the tension we're feeling in the church today, I think it's important to take a step back and realize that this is not a global Christian phenomenon. While in the US and other Western cultures, Christianity is in decline, we're still very much in a time where the gospel has reached farther than ever before. According to Lifeway Research, 
which has taken a lot of its conclusions from a study done by Gordon Conwell, Christianity is surging in many parts of the world. A quote from this study says, There are fewer atheists around the world now than there were in 1970. At Christianity's current growth rate, we're expected to reach 3 billion believers by 2050. Christianity is currently the only religion in the world with more than 2 billion followers. These numbers are huge. It's hard to look at this data and not be encouraged, but it also reveals something interesting. We have two simultaneous yet opposite movements in Christianity. The gospel is advancing in many, many nations, yet in places like Europe and America, we're experiencing a decline. Why? It's my personal observation that the intermingling of faith and mainstream culture has a lot to do with it. Yes, Christians struggle with living true to their faith, but it goes both ways. I would argue that a lot of it comes when the church starts to behave less like a community of brothers and sisters of faith and more like a brand, a corporation hungry for success, eagerly tracking growth and the profits that come with it. I think it's important to note something here. Any failure in Christianity that we're seeing is not a failure on God's part. There's clear evidence that God is moving and that believers are still multiplying. The gospel is spreading. The trouble comes when people, in their brokenness, get involved. It comes when pride shows up, when pastors begin to hide ugly truths behind their Christian reputation. It comes when church leaders cover up abuse and the trust is broken. I can't possibly know every story of church hurt, but I know my own story. Genuine question here, do most people who walk away from Christianity do so because of something God did or because of a bad church experience, a bad encounter with poor church leadership? How many people truly walk away from their faith because of God? I honestly can't answer that, but I can make a guess. If you believe in Jesus, then you can agree with me that we're broken, imperfect people serving a perfect God. Church leaders are no different. They make mistakes. It's pretty clear that a big point of tension in the American church today is disappointment with church leadership or a general misrepresentation of the character of Jesus in the church. Let's dig a little deeper and define some points of tension because I think there are a few that have contributed to this overarching theme. The first one that I think can't be overstated is generational conflict. I don't want to dig too deep here because I have another episode that's going to focus on the next generation of believers, but we are definitely experiencing a lot of tension as the older generations, generations in leadership are growing older, and the next generation is eager to step in and contribute to the church. Next-gen Christians have conflicting beliefs to the older generation. Maybe this is part of the reason, or maybe part of the conflict itself is that older Christians have trouble letting go of leadership, but there's definitely a mistrust between generations. I've experienced it firsthand to be rejected in ministry purely because I wasn't old enough. Ministry experience and educational qualifications meant nothing because I hadn't reached a certain age. We're disqualified before we're even given an opportunity. Millennials in particular, the first kids to grow up in the age of technology, are given such a bad rap. We are the butt of so many jokes, and the stigma runs deep. 
We have John Chris to thank for all of the Christian parodies mocking what so many believe to be an entitled, oblivious generation of adult babies. I'll go into this in a later episode of just how factual some of these generational biases are. You'd be surprised. But all of this contributes to a generation of frustrated young people and a generation of older adults who are holding on to the ministry and ministry opportunities with white knuckles, afraid to let go, afraid to let us in. So many of us choose to leave. If you've stuck out the generational tension in the church, then this one is sure to make your blood boil a little bit. At least it does to me. Politics. Oh, my eyes have never rolled harder than when a pastor charges his congregation with their duty to stand up and fight for Christian values. Vote for our Christian values. It's so politically one-sided, and it makes a very bold statement of it's us versus them. It leaves no room for thought or discussion. The 2020 election wreaked havoc on the church. All of these Christians became so immensely wrapped up in their political identities, either for or against Donald Trump, although it's no secret that most Christians fell into his very loyal camp. Beth Moore said it so well in her tweet in December of 2020. She says, I do not believe these are days for mincing words. I'm 63 and a half years old and I have never seen anything in these United States of America I found more astonishingly seductive and dangerous to the saints of God than Trumpism. This Christian nationalism is not of God. Move back from it. She then goes on to say, Fellow leaders, we will be held responsible for remaining passive in this day of seduction to save our own skin while the saints we've been entrusted to serve are being seduced manipulated, used, and stirred up into a lather of zeal devoid of the Holy Spirit for political gain. And God help us, we don't turn from Trumpism to Bidenism. We do not worship flesh and blood. We do not place our faith in mortals. We are the church of the living God. We can't sanctify idolatry by labeling a leader our Cyrus. We need no Cyrus. We have a king. His name is Jesus. It's misguided zeal zeal for a man, a political movement, rather than our risen savior. I still don't understand why or how this took such a vicious hold on the church, but it's done tremendous damage. When we put a political ideal over the value of a human being made in the image of Christ, when we can use anger and hatred to defend a belief in policy against a brother or sister in Christ, or worse, an unbeliever who's now getting a bitter taste of the Christian attitude, it's just so disappointing. It's unacceptable. I believe wholeheartedly it's an unnecessary division that grieves the Father. Lastly, there's a growing division in the church among two distinct kinds of believers. There are the deeply hungry and the apathetic. There are those who go to church out of a deep desire to know God more, and then there are those who just show up because it's what you're supposed to do. There are the casual dabblers in Christianity and the ones who are desperately seeking the face of their savior. Everyone goes through ups and downs in their relationship with God, but we should never live in apathy. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the parable of the 10 virgins. 10 virgins took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. The foolish ones didn't take oil with them, but the sensible ones brought along flasks of oil. The groom was delayed, so they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, a shout awakens them. Here's the groom, come out to meet him. 
The virgins got up and trimmed their lamps, but for those who didn't bring along the oil, their lamps were going out. They had to go buy oil, and when they were gone, the groom arrived. The wedding began, and the doors were shut. So how does this apply to us? This parable is a reminder that it's not enough to just be content in the moment, to just go along in our faith and hope it's enough to get us through. Our faith requires more. Like the virgins feeding their lamps with oil, our desire for God should fuel our faith. When things are challenging, where do we run? When life is bland, where's our source of joy, hope, and comfort? It's alarming to me that there are Christians content with just engaging with God on the weekend or occasionally. We are called to more as believers, and we should be discontent with allowing this type of passive engagement to be cultural. Passivity breeds passivity. Apathetic believers breed disengaged churches. Disengaged churches become fruitless. If a church is fruitless, what's the point? And where's God in all this? I'll tell you where God is. He's right in the middle of it. He's in the hearts of those faithful few. He's speaking, moving, and doing a work. The American church is experiencing some tension right now, no doubt. But our God is bigger than that, right? There are times in the Bible where key figures felt outnumbered. There are times when the outcome was questionable, where it was a wonder if God would really come through. I think this is the time where God loves to shine. He likes to work with the improbable. He likes to do the impossible because it's like a signature that says, who else could have done it? God loves to work through remnants. It's not uncommon throughout scripture that the majority of people were not following God's way and he works through individuals to bring about significant change. Think back to Noah, Jonah's time with the Ninevites, and the small group of exiles that returned to Jerusalem. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah complains to the Lord that he's the only one left, but God knows exactly how many still serve him. 7,000. Here's the thing with tension. Tension is not long-term. It demands to be relieved. It's uncomfortable, but it's a mechanism used to stretch. I believe we are in a place in time and in the church where things are going to shift, whether that's through the generational transition or a movement or some other turn of events. Change is on the horizon. You and I are both responsible for doing our part. Change doesn't happen when people shrink back and wait for another to step in and lead the way. We have a voice. Do you know Jesus? Do you know his character? Do you love him? If you do, then you have all the tools you need to make an impact and to lead the way toward change. To bring people back into the house of God. To show people who Jesus is, not who he's wrongly portrayed to be. Are you with me? Good. That's all I have for today, and thank you for listening. I hope this encouraged you and inspired you to continue digging deeper in your relationship with God. If you're looking for new tools and resources to help you grow in your faith, you're not alone. Check out my website at sheiscourageous.com. 
If you visit this podcast show notes, I'll link all of the studies and research I shared in this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love if you could leave me a review and subscribe so that next time I post an episode, you get a notification. And if you really enjoyed it, feel free to share it on social media, text it to a friend, or do whatever it is you do to share things. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.